message last week, and, and Joe did a great job going the miracles. We appreciate that, Joe. And in, a, in, about, in about 10 months now, Joe's going to be coming on staff full-time. We're going to be starting a Spanish service here at Family Life, so we're excited about that. And uh, so Tracy and I, we went, to, we went to spend a week at the beach, and we had a good time, and then we were at the home church in Lafayette last week, had a, had a good time, and I think everything went well. I think I did good. They didn't run me out of town or anything, so we're excited about that. Um, so today, we're starting a new series, and it's called Address the Mess. Have any of you ever looked at your life and you're like, oh my gosh, it's a mess? Any, any of you ever have areas of your life that, oh my goodness, it's, it's a mess? Whose fault is it? We're gonna, today I'm going to tell you whose fault it is, okay? So we, we're going to know who to blame and, and all that. But, you know, sometimes we're going through life and, and we're dealing with these confusing, chaotic things that are in our life. And maybe in 2019, maybe this year, you have, you have just developed some messes in your life. You know, maybe, you know, maybe uh, you, say, may, you may say, Pastor, my mess has been going so long, it's huge. And that's okay, too. We're going to tell you how to do that. But uh, addressing the messes that are in our life. And, you know, the honest truth is life just can get a little bit messy sometimes, can't it? We would like it to be perfect. We would, we would like that we would always say the right things. We would like that everyone around us was nice. You know, we would like it if we never had any problems. But, unfortunately, life can just get a little bit messy. And I bet if we went around this room, we're not going to do this, so don't panic. If we went around this room... And if everyone was, was open and authentic, open and authentic, we have problems with that too, don't we? And they just shared what was going on in their life. I bet there's probably not a person in this room that has a totally clean slate in life. Everyone has a little bit of a mess going on. And, you know, you can have four, four or five areas of your life going really well, but maybe one area just has a mess in it. And uh, so we're going to talk about addressing the mess because... This year is moving fast, and we're fixing to be in the end of the year, starting a new year in 2020, and we want to start fresh. And the only way you can start fresh, see, what happens in January is everyone wants to make these predictions and these, uh, you know, New Year's resolutions about what, what they're going to do, but you can never do anything new. You can never start fresh if you don't deal with the mess. And we think we can just forget, we forget the mess and just tomorrow's a new day. No, you got to deal with the mess. We, gotta, we have to clean up the mess so we have a clean slate and move on in life. So several years ago after Hurricane Harvey, uh, my family, we had a mess. Our home flooded. And, man, it was a mess. We went there and, gosh, you know, it's just a mess. Everything stinks so bad and there's wet everything, flooring, you know, carpet, sheetrock, cabinets, doors. And, you know, it's like it's just this process. We, you know, we had a mountain of stuff out in our front yard, yard doors, flooring, everything, couches. And it's just a, a, a monstrous thing. And, you know, it took, it took like three months with the help of a lot of our friends and construction crews to get our house back in working order. I mean, it was bad. And we went to our house, you know, we hadn't even gotten inside of the house. All of our fences are knocked down around our house, you know, my pool, my beautiful pool, my beautiful pool that I take so much pride in. It was brown and had frogs jumping out of it. I thought, man, Moses cursed my pool like the Nile, man. There's frogs coming out of the, the it's bad. I mean, 
it's bad. I mean, like, I, I can't even tell you how bad it is, you know. But it's amazing. You pump all the water out of the pool. You spray it down. You put new water in it. It's, it, it, it's, it's clear again. And so we got everything done, everything except one thing, our garage. The garage was an issue. Because what happened is everything we didn't know what to do with, we put in the garage. Maybe you have a compartment of your life. You don't know where it goes. You just put it in there. And, and we just, we had, we had boxes with ruined papers that had got wet in the garage. Our garage had, had uh, you know, layers of mud from the Brazos River, you know, and I'm just like, gosh, this is bad. But the good news was I don't park in the garage. That was for Tracy and Trinity. So, you know, the garage is not a big deal, you know. Well, you know, Tracy would come in almost every day and she would say, Terry, the garage stinks so bad. And then in my mind, I'm thinking, man, I know that's why I'm so glad I don't park in there. You know, that's, that's dangerous in there. It's contamination in there. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of... I'm kind of an obsessive, compulsive. I'm kind of a neat freak. I hate to have undone things in my life. So I tried to avoid the garage, but if I had to go in the garage or something, man, I just kind of got overwhelmed and depressed. I mean, this is depressing. You know, I'm thinking, you know, someone really should do something about this. <laughs> do you ever do that in your life? You're, part of your life's a mess and you're like, someone really ought to do something about my life. There's some real problems here. Well, one day, good news, one day, on a Saturday morning, I woke up. I always wake up early. Um, and I woke up and I started cleaning that garage at 7 a.m. I was inspired by our creator to clean that garage. And I cleaned that garage. I took off three loads in my truck of just wet, ruined stuff. I swept that garage. I pressure washed the garage. All day, all day. Ten hours I were on the thing. You know, here... You know, when you have a mess in your life, sometimes we don't even realize how bad it is until you start cleaning it. Do you know, I found 17 beer caps in my garage, and I didn't drink them. <laughs> now, how, when a river is rushing through your house, how does it deposit 17 beer bottles in your garage? That had to be the devil, right? And I'm thinking, my goodness, if somebody would have come over, they would think that, man, pastor has a drinking problem, you know? I mean, there's 17 bottles, you know? I don't even know what my kids were thinking, you know? It's like, my goodness. But, but we, we were in and out of the garage as, as, as quickly as we could. And so, but, you know, after I did that, when you have a mess in your life, it's like something's hanging over your head. You try to avoid it, but everyone knows it's there. You know it's there. It's like it's hanging over your head, and it's stopping your performance. It's stopping your performance. It's not allowing you to operate good. And so, but there's something liberating and rewarding when we address the mess in our lives. It brings a freedom and a liberation and a lightness into our lives and, uh, whenever we're able to do that. It's kind of like this, if you have an iPhone or an iPad, you know, actually this morning I couldn't get my iPad to charge. I'm like, what's the deal? And I think I, think I have too many apps open. And I, I looked on there and I had 27 apps open. That's why it was running my battery faster than I could charge it. That's what it's like when you have a mess in your life. When you have a mess in your life, when there's something in your life that's just a, a, a complete and utter disaster, it's draining you. It's hanging over you. 
And you want to be productive and you want to do good things, but that area just drains uh, the life out of you. And so the biggest problem is, is that when we have a mess in our life, we tend to procrastinate. I'm not even going to ask you how many procrastinators we have in here because I know the number is so high, right? And why throw all of us under the bus, right? Who wants to feel bad about themselves? But we, we procrastinate. Mason Cooley, he said this, procrastination makes easy things hard and hard things harder. So you have even something simple in your life and it's easy to fix, but you just don't address it. You just keep procrastinating and, and then it gets hard. And then if you have something that's bad and you don't deal with it, it just continues to get worse and it gets, it gets worse and worse and harder and harder. Napoleon Hill said this, procrastination is a bad habit of putting off until the day after tomorrow what should have been done the day before yesterday. Can I get, an, can I get an amen to that, right? I never do that, but some of y'all, man, I hear your stories. It's, it's just bad. But procrastination is really dangerous in our lives. I'm going to give you kind of a little, it's kind of a little morbid uh, illustration. So don't leave or it's, I mean, it's not bad. It's a little bit morbid. So my dad had a friend, uh, a country guy, lived out on the farm. And this guy was a hard worker. And my dad was friends and we would go visit him. And, you know, he was always lifting heavy things and doing heavy stuff. And so he had, you know, one of the a stomach hernia. He got a stomach hernia. And he, but he didn't need to go to the doctor. And my dad would go out there and visit him, and it kept getting bigger and bigger and worse and worse because he wouldn't address it. And one day my dad pulled up, and he's laying on the ground, tucking it back in, tucking the hernia back in. Now, I know that's a little bit morbid. Uh, no, that's a lot morbid. I'm not looking at Tracy right now. I'm just looking at you. But do you know, he never dealt with it. It ended up going into his intestines. He had to be rushed to the, to the doctor, for, uh, the hospital, for emergency surgery. He almost died simply because he had a little problem that he would never address. When we don't address our mess, the mess gets worse. It doesn't clean itself. It doesn't heal itself. And so we have to, during this series, the next few weeks, we're just going to really talk about how do we address the mess in our lives and, and how do we go about that. Now, when we're talking about the messes that we need to address, we're not talking about garages, are we? No, we're not. We're talking about relationships, relationships that we've just destroyed, relationships that we've made a mess of, we made a chaotic mess of because we've said things we shouldn't have said, we did things we shouldn't have, have done, we, we accuse people that we shouldn't have accused people of, and because of that, we have, we have a, you know, a relational mess. And so what we think is, well, I didn't really need them anyway, I can just move on. But the truth, the truth of the matter is that if you have a relationship that is, is, in, the, is in the doghouse in the mess, it's hanging over you. It's, it's slowing you down. I, I did forget to say this before I started my message. I know that there's so many people in here that are worried about the Astros. So I, just, I wore this because they've never lost when I wore this. They have never lost. I just bought it yesterday. They have never. I've had it since 2017, the first World Series, okay? So we're good, okay? We're good. Don't leave the church if they lose today, okay? But maybe it's our finances. You know, uh, we try to hide our financial messes, but it's real. Our finances affect, you know, how we can live and, and what we can do and what we can buy and, what, you know, all, all, all these things. And, 
But so many people just want to, want to forget the mess of their finances. And, you know, we have, we have FPU, Financial Peace University. And that'll be, it's finishing up now. It'll be starting in January or February. And everyone at Family Life should take that course. I took it 15, 17 years ago. It helped Trace and I. Trace and I used to lead that class. Do you know we had a young couple come to Financial Peace and, and you know, the first class, you like got to go home and figure out how much you make and how much you owe. And, and they stayed after class. They were telling me, oh, pastor, we can't do that. I'm like, well, why can't you do that? They said, it's bad. They said, it's bad. We don't want to know. Have you ever not want to know? I just don't want to know. And I was like, look, I'm not going to make you do it, but the class can't help you unless if you are honest and address the mess. we got to address the mess. They came back next week. Now, here's the thing. They made a lot of money. They just didn't know where any of it went. They came back the next week, and they, they, were, they walked in. They were so excited. They were actually early. You know, not many who are early today, right? They were early. And they said, we figured out that we can be totally out of debt in three years. Now, that's pretty exciting. They said, we can have our house paid off in seven years. So they went from being all distraught and all this to, to, be, to facing the mess they had made and being happy about it because when you address the mess, when you look into it, you see light at the end of the tunnel because God's going to come in there and he's going to help you get over that. You know, maybe it's our health. Maybe it's our health. How many of you know uh, that we only get one body? Would you pat yourself on the shoulder and say, this is the only body I'll ever get? And so we're supposed to take care of it. You know, we're supposed to take care of it. We're supposed to do things like, like eat right or eat, eat, yeah, eat right. That's the right word, right? And listen, I'm addressing my mess. I, I have, a, a, I like sweets, you know. How many know that if you go through Dairy Queen and get a banana split and you go right back around and get in line again, you have an issue. You have an issue, okay? And I've never done that, but I've followed some of you, you know. Don't, don't tell me, oh, I forgot to order something for my little, little Johnny, right? No, you're doing that. And so we need to take care of ourselves. We need to exercise. We need to, because this is the only body we're going to get, you know. And you can take care of it and get hit by a car and die. But how many know that if we take care of it, it gives us a better chance of, of doing that? And for some of you, the mess may be habits you've allowed some addictive habits that come into your life. And you didn't mean to, but you're looking at things you shouldn't be looking at. You're talking to people that you shouldn't be talking to. You're consuming things that you shouldn't be consuming to try to mask the pain of whatever, whatever you're going through. And, and so, see, when we develop habits... We just got to come clean and say, I have a problem, I have a mess, I'm going to address the mess because my future is going to be greater than my past. And, but we have, we, have to, we have to address it. That's why I love, I love Celebrate Recovery, I love 12-step groups because to join a 12-step group, you have to admit that you have a problem. And if you never admit that you have a mess, you'll never clean the mess up. And, and so that's very, very important. So let, we're going to look at this today. How do you address the mess? How do you even start? Isn't the biggest problem that we don't know where to start? We've created such a whirlwind of a mess. We have so much drama in our lives. And if someone could just tell us where to start, it would be okay. So we have to start with the person who's at fault. I told you we we're going to tell you who is you know, responsible for your mess. So number one is we have to take responsibility for our mess. 
And this is just the bottom line. I know in today's culture and society, uh, they preach that, you know, they preach that it's everyone else's fault that we have trouble. You know, it's the, it's the world economy. That's why we have economic problems. It's our parents' fault. That's why we can't have a good relationship. But, you know, you're, you're a mess. If we're just honest today, I'm, I'm an honest person. I think we're all honest here. Your mess is not your parents' fault. Your mess is not your friend's fault. Your mess is not your mess and my mess is not our spouse's fault. Your mess and my mess, it's my fault and your fault. But here's what I know about the mess in your life. Your fingerprints and your DNA are all over those, all over that mess. You know, if, if CSI came into your mess, they would put a picture of the person who did that, you know. Hey, this is funny. Many years ago, several years ago, you know, we have alarm, we have alarm system and everything. And we have so many people that have the keys and stuff. So I came in one day and the door was unlocked. I walked right in the front door. I, I was not happy. I was not happy. Who came in here? And so I called the, the security company. I called them and said, I want to know who's the last person that put their security number in. And the lady, some of you are laughing. You know where I'm going with this, right? And the lady was, she was kind of like, I'm like, spit it out. Who was it? I'm like, I'm, come on. It's, it sounds like a young lady. And I'm, she's like, uh, pastor? That's when I kind of like, oh, no, why did I call? Pastor, you were the last one in there. <laughs> and so I just, I just said, well, yeah, that's right. I have a lot on my mind. I've got a lot of important things I'm doing. <laughs> I just walked right out the church, left it open, come and take what you want. But isn't that funny how human nature, it's so hard to say I'm the problem. And it's so easy to just blame somebody. When I was the youth pastor in Lafayette, Louisiana, many, many years ago, Trace and I moved over there. And uh, I, I, mean, I was so happy. I got my, my first little job. I graduated from college. And the church, some of the board members of the church, they, they had, there was an extra church van, a blue minivan. And they're like, hey, let's just give that to Terry, and he can go pick kids up and take kids around. And so, man, I had a blue minivan. I was, I was burning up Lafayette with kids all in that van, taking kids everywhere. And so I'd had the van for about two months. I'm leaving my house. I'm back down the driveway, and I hit Tracy's car. And so I put it into park, and I went in there, and I said, Tracy, why did you park your car there? How do you think, how many of you are married in here? How do you think that went? <laughs> I mean, just how do you think that went? Because I, I have mellowed a lot in life. So when I was 25 years old, I was like, it's probably like, Tracy, why did you park your car there? You knew I was backing up. But you know, hey, check this out. I was the one pushing the gas pedal. Like I was the one backing up. I had my hand on the steering wheel. How many of you know that the problem wasn't where Tracy parked? See, all the guys out here are like, well, we're, we're going to hold off. Let, let's not get too quick to judge, right? Okay. But how, and then I was thinking, man, I don't know the church. That, I just started working. They may love me more than the van. They may love, love the van more than me. And I, I'm like, Tracy, will you tell them you were driving? You know, I'm like, I'm trying to do anything. I'm trying to do anything. And so I went up to the church, and I was scared to talk to Brother Francis because he could fire me. I didn't want to talk. So 
um, Brother Francis' brother was on staff, really, really great guy, Brother Earn, and he, he, I found that he was in charge of the vehicles. And um, so I said, hey, Brother Earn, I went in there, and I was like, listen, I, I don't, I was trying to have a hard time getting it down. He's like, he's like, Terry, what's going on? I was like, man, listen, I've actually backed in, you know, the church van to my wife's car. Um, I knocked out some taillights and stuff, but I'll, don't worry, I'll be happy to pay for it. And he started laughing, and he said, uh, have you seen the car I drive? And he had the other church van. And he was getting up there in years and probably was close to not needing to drive anymore. And he, he, I mean, his van looked like it went through a bomb, right? So I'm like, yeah, okay, we're good. Okay, we're, we're going to move, move on. But isn't that funny how when we have a problem, the first thing we tend to do is assign blame. It's just human nature. We just, we just blame. We, we like to blame. But when we look deep, if we're really just honest, it's my DNA. And it's my fingerprints all over my mess. And if you have a mess in any area of your life, the first thing you have to do, you're not going to get anywhere until you just got to take responsibility. If your spiritual life is not doing good, you just got to take responsibility. Well, you know, something like, well, of course it's not good. I don't read my Bible. I don't pray. I don't go to church very much. I don't attend a small group. I mean, of course, of course. And, and when we do that, though, uh, you, you know, good things happen. See, some people think that I've actually even talked to some I don't know, some psycho counselors, what I don't know what their issue is, but they, they, they think that taking responsibility is negative. Oh, you'll feel bad about yourself. We got to build everyone up. No, uh, taking responsibility is actually a positive thing. But until we take responsibility, uh, we, we are powerless. But the moment we, we, we own our mess and, and, and we, we take responsibility, it gives us the power to change. It gives us the power to do better. It gives us the power to make better decisions. So let's go to the Old Testament. We're going to all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. I, you know what? I could speak from Genesis chapter 2 and 3 every Sunday. I don't because I know you're going to be tired of it. You can just stay home and read that. But all of our flaws are found in the original story of sin. Every one of them. So let's look at this. Genesis chapter 3, 8 through 12. I, I found this enlightening this week. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. You know what I thought about doing? What, what I thought about doing was, you know, every week I can read the story. And I said, the Lord God came down the cool day and he said, Hugh. Why are you naked, right? I could put Hugh and Jackie, put anyone's name in there, right? Put my name, your name. So let me ask you a question. Every time I, I read this story, I see it in a different way. But God asked him, Adam, where are you? Now, do you think that God didn't know 
the omniscient God, the creator of our galaxy, the universe? Do you think that God couldn't see a naked Adam hiding behind an azalea bush? I mean, do you think that God, you know, uh, you know, God, God, God knew where he was at. But you see, God was giving Adam the opportunity to take responsibility. He was giving him the opportunity to come clean and to be honest about his sin. And now Adam is now self-conscious. Before he was God-conscious, now he's conscious of himself. And then he said this, have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat from? Now, how many of you know that is a yes and a no answer? That is a yes and a no answer if I've ever seen one in my whole life. Guys, how many times has your wife asked you a, it's a yes or no question? And you're going around the block, right? You're going around the block. It's yes or no. It's yes or no. But look what Adam, Adam says, the woman you put here with me. So Adam fails the test. He refuses to take responsibility for the mess he created. It had his DNA, his fingerprints on it. And so Adam he not only throws Eve under the bus, he throws God under the bus. The woman you gave me. God, before you gave me this demonic woman, I was running with the deer and swimming in the streams. I mean, I was having a great time in the garden, but you gave me this woman. You gave me this woman. And it's, just, just, it's just an amazing place we go to. You know, I was in a counseling session one time, it's many years ago, and a guy comes in my office and he sits down. I'm like, how can I help you? He said, and he gritted his teeth, he said, I'm mad at God. I said, okay. I thought he was kidding. He's like, no, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm ticked off at God. I thought he was, thought he was serious. So I was like, why are you mad at God? He's like, man, I have racked up a $20,000 credit card bill. I'm waiting. I mean, he didn't make a $20,000 donation to the church. I know that. You know, it's not like he went to easy tithe and you, you hit the button, right? No. And so I'm like, we, we went round and round. I mean, I'm trying to be loving. I'm trying to be a pastor. It was like nailing jello to a wall. I could not get this guy in. He never got it. It was God's fault that he put $20,000 of stuff on a credit card because he didn't have a budget. And I was like, wow, this is, this, is, this is unbelievable. So the very first step to addressing the mess in your life and my life is the act of owning it and taking personal responsibility. Uh, let, let's continue on because I was pretty hard on Adam right there. So we, we do need to get to Eve. We, we need to get to Eve. Genesis 3.13, it says, Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So Eve claims ignorance. How many of you know that Eve knew exactly what she was doing? Right? I mean, God was showing them the garden. He says, all the trees in the garden you can eat, but just don't eat this one tree right here. That's pretty clear. But she was deceived somehow into doing the one thing that God had told her not to do. How many know that, you know, I, I know that we can be deceived and all that, but the majority of the time, we know 
by, our action, by the actions we've done to create our mess, we knew that we were wrong. I had a, had a pastor, uh, a very, very well-known pastor, and man, I, I tell you what, I, I had put this guy on a pedestal because he had pastored all these years. 20,000 people had gotten saved in his church. He was, and so it came, he was about near retirement, and it came out that he had made some inappropriate advances toward women. And, you know, it was right when the Me Too movement, all this stuff coming out, and, you know, I, I'm like, hey, this guy had been a light of integrity. And I was like, there's no way I believe that. There's no way I believe that. And then I started reading about some of the things, and, and him and his team, they'd gone on some mission trips, so they're out of the country. And on three different occasions, he asked another woman to stop by his hotel room to talk about some ministry stuff. And those three women claimed inappropriate advances. Now, I'm going to say this. Just two people in the room, so I don't know what what was done. I don't know if he did that. But how many of you know, if you invite, if you're a married man, and you invite another married lady from your church, from your ministry team, into your hotel room when no one else is there, how many of you know you know exactly what you're doing? You know, now, I'm going to say, I don't know how I went with his family, but if it came out that I had invited somebody, another lady, into my hotel room, I don't even have to, I don't, there has to be nothing else. Like, Tracy, I'm in trouble. <laughs> like, I'm in bad trouble because there's no way that a spiritual leader, as a matter of fact, there's no way for any man to be somewhere by himself with another woman that's not his wife. It's just, you know what you're doing. So we claim ignorance, oh, that was a bad decision. No, 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 no. that was a sinful decision. That was a sinful decision, and you, you put yourself and your whole family and the church in line to be embarrassed. And so we've got we've to just uh, really be honest about that. So the moment, the moment we take responsibility for our messes, We have created in our lives, uh, that's the exact moment we begin to grow. If you never accept responsibility for the mess in your life, you, you, you have no chance of growth. But whenever you accept responsibility, you know, it's my fault. I take responsibility. Maybe it was on purpose, maybe it wasn't, but I made the decision. I take responsibility. This mess is mine. I own it. See, what happens that moment, um, you begin to grow. You're no longer a victim. See, when you're blaming everyone else and, oh, the world, oh, it's woe is me, see, you're a victim. When you take responsibility, you're not a victim because you created your own mess. Your DNA and fingerprints are on your mess. But now, now something has changed because now you can make different decisions. Now you can grow. Now you can ask God for his help to get you out of the situation that you're in. So there's no, there is no growth without personal responsibility. I was thinking this week about Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. Most people probably don't read Lamentations too much. I love the book of Lamentations. And one of my favorite verses is there. It says this. It's through the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Can you get that? It's because God is so merciful that he puts up with us, that he loves us, that he doesn't give up on us. Because his compassions, they fail not. They are new every morning. Great 
is your faithfulness. And so, so whenever, whenever we got a mess in our life and we take responsibility, it unleashes the mercies of God every day. If, you're, if you don't own it, you're not going to get the mercy of God. But when we, we say, God, I need your help. God, I was wrong. God, that was sinful. The mercies of God, they're released every day. So every, think of this every day. When I woke up this morning, there was a river of God's mercy all around me. When you wake up tomorrow, there is a river of God's mercy all over you. But to receive God's mercy, we also have to come to him and say, God, I was wrong. Please forgive me. Pour out your grace and your mercy and your peace and your transforming power into my life. I was thinking this week about Nehemiah. Nehemiah is one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's a historical story of, if you remember, a King Nebuchadnezzar, he came to Jerusalem. He tore down the city. He burned the gates with fire. He tore down the walls of Jerusalem. He tore down the temple. He took all the precious articles with him to Babylon. And now it's many, many years later. They were in captivity for 70 years. They come back. And uh, Ezra has come back before Nehemiah. <clears throat> he has started to rebuild uh, the, the temple there. But Nehemiah finds out that Jerusalem is living in terrible conditions because they have no wall for security. There's no gates. There's no wall. There's no protection on the city. So Nehemiah comes back. And his goal is to come help a helpless people who cannot help themselves. And in a matter of days, they rebuild the whole wall. Nehemiah 2.18, it says this. Nehemiah says this. He's talking with all the people about, the, the, you know, about building the wall. And they say this. They say, let us start rebuilding. I want you to take note of that. Let us start rebuilding. If you have a mess in your life, it's not your job to fix your own mess. You're part of it, but you can't do it on your own. If you could do it on your own, you would have already done it. Let us rebuild. So we need, we need God to partner with us to rebuild the wall. You know what the name Nehemiah means? The name Nehemiah means comforter. Nehemiah is a type of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. That, the, that just as the Holy Spirit is with us today to help us. As a matter of fact, Jesus called the Holy Spirit the comforter. The Holy Spirit is known as the comforter. Nehemiah, his name means comforter. Just as Nehemiah came to that mess in Jerusalem and partnered with them to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, to bring the glory back to Jerusalem, to bring protection back to the Jerusalem, to get Jerusalem out of that mess. Right now, what I want you to know is when we take responsibility and we, we, we ask for forgiveness, the Holy Spirit comes into us to partner with us, to comfort us, and to help us to, to take new steps and get to new areas of our life. And finally, I want to, I want to end with this here in the next few minutes, but um, what I want to say is this, is don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. It's never too late. You're never too far gone. You haven't made such a big mess. And, you know, sometimes people come to me and say, my mess is so big I can't do it. And because I'm a pastor, I look at them and say, man, I've talked to people with a lot bigger messes than you. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. I can give you a list of them. They're right there in the congregation. But God has helped them, right? 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. 
Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor is not in vain. You know, whenever, do you know why I never addressed my garage for six months? Because it looked overwhelming. It looked daunting. And if your finances are upside down, if your relationships are in trouble, if your marriage is in trouble, if you have broken relationship with your kids, if your health is in trouble, it looks overwhelming. But remember, you're not, you're not supposed to do it by yourself. You're supposed to do it with the help of God. And God is the, is the master, the chief of the breakthrough. He can, he can do things that we don't have the power to do. He can transition things that we are not able to do. Uh, I was reading a story that kind of made me think of this part of not giving up if you have a mess in your life. But, so several, several years ago, there was, there was a documentary on the pilgrims. And I, kinda, I like history, so I, was, I watched this documentary on the pilgrims. And basically, it was, it was a story on the life of William Bradford, who's the, who was the govern, governor for many years of Plymouth Colony. And, uh, of course, you know, there were, but I, I learned some things that I didn't know from the story. There were, there were, of course, 102 passengers on the Mayflower coming over. Many of them were Puritans, uh, people looking for religious freedom and free expression of their religious beliefs. Some of them were separatists uh, who were kind of secular people just along for the ride, just wanted to go to a new country. And um, there was a man on the ship named John Holland, John Holland. And John Holland didn't know anything about boats. In fact, he was an indentured servant. And one day, you know, they were cooped up down there in the boat, and there was a storm, and John Holland, he couldn't take anymore down below deck. So he went up on deck during a storm. And would you believe it? A wave crashed over the Mayflower and knocked him off the boat. But while he was going over, he grabbed a rope. And he's hanging over the boat, and the waves are just beating the heck out of him. He's getting beat up against the side of the Mayflower, and he's just hanging on. He's hang, he, he was tenacious. He would not let go. And finally, some people realized he fell over, and they went and they pulled him up. They pulled him up in what looked like a, a death sentence he made it out of. He, he, he got out of there. And uh, so when they, they ended up going, you know, when they, when they got to Massachusetts and Plymouth there, he, John Holland married a girl named Elizabeth Tilly. And him and Elizabeth Tilly had 10 kids. And his 10 kids had 88 grandchildren. And <laughs> Tracy's shaking her head. Why did we stop at three? We could have done so more, much more. Um, <laughs> 10 kids, 88 grandchildren. Okay. But do you know that today there are 2 million Americans that get their ancestry from John Holland? I, I, wanna, I thought you would be interested in this, so let me show you some pictures. Let me show you a few people, some few famous people that are. First of all, Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin, yeah. Alec Baldwin, uh, he's related to the man that was hanging off the Mayflower and getting knocked against the boat. Humphrey Bogart. How many of you were alive? Never mind. I hate, I hate just making Hugh raise his hand. <laughs> so. Philip Brooks, 
Philip Brooks, do you know who Philip Brooks is? He wrote the, t- the song, Oh Little Town of Bethlehem. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? And uh, man, there, there's, there's many more. George Herbert Walker Bush, number 41. So if he's related to him, that also means that, that W is and Jeb Bush, all the, all the Bush family. Ralph Waldo Emerson. This is amazing, right? Henry Cabot Lodge. Christopher Lloyd. We wouldn't have Back to the Future. <laughs> this guy wasn't, John Holland is important, right? Back to the Future, you know? <laughs> I didn't know what picture he put up there. Sarah Palin. Some of you know Sarah Palin. She takes her back there. Franklin Roosevelt. Franklin Roosevelt. Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormons. Dr. Benjamin Spock. I don't think we have a picture of him, but the last one, I saved the last for the most important, Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase. Can you imagine without the Christmas movies? John Holland, man, John Holland. So I was thinking about this this week. I have a question to ask you. What if John Holland would have let go of the rope? What if he had let go of the rope and given up? I mean, he was getting beat like crazy. I mean, I don't, I don't know if any of you have ever water skied or done any type of water sports, but I mean, just try hanging on to the rope after you fall off skis or a, a boogie board or something. Like, you feel like you're getting drowned. This guy's getting beat. He just held on. He just held on for dear life until help came on the way. But he was in a mess. Uh, he, he was tenacious. He held on. And because he held on, God used him and had an incredible plan for his life. And what I want you to know is that God has an incredible future for everyone in here. So address the mess and become the person that God wants you to be. And as you address the mess in your life, God is, God is going to help bring you out on the other side. Would you stand with me this morning? I have a, have a question for you. Would you just say this with me this morning? Just, just say, so repeat this with me. I have, I have an incredible destiny. So it's worth addressing the mess. So I can become the person God meant for me to be. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Just, just take a moment and it, just, just be honest. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. But... I wonder, I wonder this morning if, if, uh, if you would just be honest with yourself, are the, is there an area or two or three, is there an area of your life that just, it's a mess? And again, we said that the, the first thing The very first thing, we can't address the mess. We can't do anything about the mess. We can't clean the mess up until, first of all, we take personal responsibility. And so I just want to give you a chance this morning with with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here this morning, you say, man, Terry, I have a mess or two or three in my life, and I'm taking responsibility for it today, and I want God to help me. Would you just raise your hands to the Lord? Say, God, I need your help to clean up the messes that I have made in my life. Lord God, we come before you this morning. God, we come before you in Jesus' name. And Lord, first of all, we ask you to forgive us 
for the things that we did to get ourselves in a mess, Lord, the, the bad decisions, the poor decisions, Lord, and forgive us for the sin that we've done by blaming other people. And Lord, this morning, God, this morning, we just ask you to forgive us. But most importantly, we ask you to, to partner with us and God, help us to get out of this mess we've created. Lord, relational messes, financial messes, health messes, addictions. Lord, things that have created a mess in our life, in our marriage, in our work, God. Again, we ask you to forgive us for it. And Lord, just bring healing and restoration into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So we're, this is part one. So go home this week and just start identifying those. And, and uh, the Lord's going to help you start making a strategy to, to get through that. The first step is responsibility. Guys, if y'all could do me a favor, if y'all could help us stack these chairs and stacks of nine, that would be helpful. As always, I'm going to close with a blessing over you this morning. Would you raise your hands this morning? Father God, we thank you for the spiritual inheritance we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, everything that, that, that we have, it comes through the life, the sinless, spotless, pure life of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray for the power that Jesus gives into our lives. Lord, give us power to make progress in our lives. God, protect everyone as they leave here this morning. Protect their children, their marriages. Bring everyone back safely. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you, church.